Have you ever wondered why a certain house in your neighborhood has stood abandoned for years or even decades? Or maybe you've heard about a terrible murder in your town, but you've never known exactly where it happened. Hi, I'm Jules, and welcome to Morbid Tourism, the podcast. On this podcast, I'm going to talk about the true crime cases that may have happened closer to home than you thought. Warning, this podcast contains descriptions of extreme violence and is not intended for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Last week, I talked about the case of Cassie Jo Stoddart, whose murderers were inspired by a horror movie to kill Cassie. This week, I'm flipping that around, and I'm going to be telling you about a case that was so horrific, it inspired not just one, but multiple horror movies. And many of them are now considered to be classics in the horror genre. Right in the middle of Wisconsin lies a very small town, a village, called Plainfield. The area was originally settled in 1848, but it never grew that much, and even today, its estimated population is only around 830 people. The village has a small Main Street area, one K-12 school, and not a single stoplight in the whole town. Not even a stop sign that I could find. All around the downtown area is farmland, each farmhouse sitting on several acres of land. About six miles to the southwest of that main street in Plainfield, in the heart of the farmland, sits the intersection of Archer Avenue and 2nd Avenue. The land sitting on the southwest corner of this intersection isn't being farmed. There's no building there, and it looks pretty much the same as every other intersection in the area, except for one thing. The presence of a more than average amount of signs saying, keep out, no trespassing, private property. The signs are on almost every single tree, dozens of them. So what could possibly be bringing people to this random plot of land in the middle of nowhere? Well... It was once home to one of the most brutal, most infamous, and most deranged killer in history. This was the location of Ed Gein's farmhouse. Ed Gein was born on August 27, 1906, and he was the second boy to be born to parents Augusta and George Gein. George had trouble holding down a job. He was an alcoholic So the family ended up moving to Plainfield when Ed was still a child, and they settled in on the farm located at Archer Avenue and 2nd Avenue. They lived in a two-story farmhouse, and there was a barn on the land as well. Although the townspeople were known for their hospitality and friendly nature, you know, there's only a few hundred people that live in the area, so everyone kind of tries to look out for each other. The Geens were fiercely private people, and Ed was only allowed to leave the home to attend school. Home life was not a happy or peaceful one for the Gein children. Their father, George, like I mentioned, was an alcoholic, and that was something that his highly religious mother was strongly resentful of. 
insistent that the children be raised quote-unquote right and without the influence of outsiders, their mother Augusta would punish the boys any time they attempted to make friends. She also would set aside time every afternoon to study the Bible with the children, and she chose passages that weren't exactly child-friendly. She usually chose from some of the darker books of the Bible, like Revelations or the Old Testament. The passages often focused on murder and death, something a lot of parents would try not to study in the Bible with their children, but that's what Augusta chose to focus on. In school, young Ed Gein found some success, and he actually achieved fairly high marks. Socially, though, likely due to the fear of punishment from his mother, he was very shy, and he did not make friends. He also exhibited some kind of odd behavior, and that kept the other kids at bay. He would do things like laughing out loud randomly, even when nothing funny had happened. Nothing had happened at all. Even though his mother was really tough on the boys, Ed had a very strong attachment to her. Although it's common for children to start to be critical of their parents as they grow older, Ed remained fiercely loyal to Augusta, and he would react with real sadness if his brother ever kind of talked poorly about her. In 1940, George Gein, their father, died due to complications from his alcoholism, making Ed and his brother the main breadwinners for their family. They each did odd jobs around town, things varying from random handyman work to even babysitting the children of other families, which Ed actually found particularly enjoyable. And I don't mean for that to come off as if he was molesting the children or anything like that. As far as I could find, there wasn't really any evidence that he was mistreating the children that he was babysitting. He simply liked being around children more than adults. Just a few years after their father's death, in 1944, Ed and his brother Henry were clearing overgrowth on the farm by burning it, but the fire quickly grew out of control. Luckily, the fire department was able to come before the fire was able to reach any structures, but once the blaze was extinguished, Ed's brother was nowhere to be found. But Ed didn't report that he was missing right away. Ed waited until all of the firefighters and first responders had left to report Henry missing. By that time, it was already dark out, and a search party had to use lanterns to try to locate Henry. Although they were successful in finding him, he was no longer alive. His body was found face down and not really in the area where the fire had burned earlier that day. He had no obvious visible injuries, and his death was determined to be an accident either by heart failure or asphyxiation from the smoke. Although it has been reported that Henry had several large bruises on his head, which leads some people to believe that his death was no accident and had been caused by Ed himself. After Henry's death, Ed and his mother Augusta were alone in the house and in the world. They only interacted with outsiders when it was really necessary, either for work or buying goods. 
Although by this time, Ed was in his late 30s, his attachment had grown stronger and stronger with his mother, and she was the shining light in his life. Unfortunately, just after Henry's death, Augusta was paralyzed after she suffered from a stroke. Ed was more devoted to his mother than ever. He made it his priority to make sure that she had everything she needed at all times and really just bent to her every will. As time went on, Augusta became more bitter and hateful towards the world and especially towards women. She preached to Ed that all women, besides herself of course, were harlots and they were not to be trusted. About a year and a half after her initial stroke, Augusta suffered from another stroke, which ultimately caused her death on December 29, 1945, just four days after Christmas. Ed was now completely alone. The one person who he had been really close with in the world was now gone, and he was left without any family or any friends. Inside the farmhouse, he closed off rooms that his mother had used, keeping them exactly as she had left them. He lived in a small room downstairs, and the cleanliness of the house quickly deteriorated, along with Ed's connection to reality and morality. Ed was completely lost without his mother, and his only solution for his current situation was to somehow get her back. Over the next year, an idea formed within Ed's brain, which had been warped after years of abuse and isolation. Ed would get his mother back, and he would do it by creating a woman suit made out of the skin of real women. And by wearing the skin suit, Ed would be able to become his mother. Starting in 1947, Ed Gein began to visit nearby cemeteries at night. During his visits, he described himself as being in a dazed-like state, almost as if he was in a waking dream. Sometimes, he would snap out of the daze, and he would return home without doing anything. But around 10 times, he would find a newly buried gravesite of a woman who looked similar to his mother. He would then dig up the body take the body out of the casket and return the empty casket to the grave. He would cover it up with the dirt and since the grave was newly buried, no one would notice that, you know, the the covering was just dirt. He would then bring the body back to his home and begin his work of skinning the bodies. Ed had hunted before and so he was familiar with how to skin something and how to tan a hide. And in his mind, doing it to an already deceased human body was essentially the same thing as doing it to game. He would string the bodies up inside the barn and skin the body, taking extra time around the face to preserve as much of their facial features as possible. Although his main mission was to create a woman suit, he enjoyed working with the body parts that he exhumed and he began to make other household items using various body parts, including their skin, bones, and skulls. 
Ed seemed to be really fascinated with the bodies that he had exhumed, especially with the parts of the bodies that were unlike his own. Since his mother had conditioned him to be untrustworthy of women, he had very little to no experience with a woman's body, and in many ways, his experience with the dead bodies was an educational one. He was captivated by female genitalia, and he would often cut out the nipples and the vulva off of the bodies to be kept separately from the rest of the skin. But over time, Ed began to get curious as to what it would be like to work with a fresher body. He was getting away with the grave robbing and his morbid arts and crafts projects, and he was growing more confident in his ability to get away with anything. In 1954, Plainfield resident and tavern owner Mary Hogan went missing. Although the details remain unclear to this day, Ed Gein apparently shot and killed Mary before taking her body back to his farmhouse and carried out the same steps on her body as he had done with the bodies that he had exhumed. He was so careful around Mary's face, he was able to create a full mask of her face. Although it is possible that Ed Gein was involved in several other murders after Mary Hogan's murder, and possibly even before, the next one that we know for sure that he was responsible for happened on November 16, 1957. Bernice Warden owned a hardware store along the main strip in Plainfield. Sometime in the morning hours of November 16, 1957, Ed Gein entered the hardware store and bought a gallon of antifreeze. Mrs. Warden wrote up a sales receipt for the antifreeze, and it included Ed's name, and this was standard practice at the time. Around 5 p.m. that same afternoon, Mrs. Warden's son, Frank, who happened to be a deputy sheriff, entered the store to find that his mother was missing and there was blood on the floor. The investigation was quick, mostly due to the fact that investigators were able to find the last sales receipt that had been issued that day, complete with Ed Gein's name. Just a few hours later, Ed was arrested while he was shopping at a Plainfield grocery store, and the search for evidence relating to Mrs. Warden's disappearance began, starting at the Gein property. Although investigators somewhat expected to find Mrs. Warden's body somewhere on the property, you know, they had found blood inside of the store, and they weren't super hopeful that she had survived the attack, they were shocked to find one of the grisliest scenes ever to be uncovered. It was immediately evident that they were dealing with more than a single murder. Although the rooms of the home that had not been sealed off were in a state similar to what you would see on the show Hoarders, it was obvious that Ed Gein had been up to something very sinister while he was alone in the home. Investigators found dozens of items made out of human skin, bones, and skulls, including a belt made out of nipples, a lampshade made out of human faces, a drawstring for shades made out of lips, a coin purse made out of a vagina, a necklace made out of ears, bowls made out of human skulls, a corset 
made from a single piece of human skin, several face masks made out of human skin, and skulls adorning the bedpost of Ed Gein's bed. Now, among these absolutely horrendous items that were discovered from the home, investigators also found the face of Mary Hogan and the entire head of Bernice Warden. On November 21st, 1957, less than a week after Mary Hogan's murder, Ed Gein was indicted on one count of first-degree murder for the murder of Mary Hogan. His defense team immediately pled not guilty by reason of insanity, a plea that was backed up by psychiatric doctors who diagnosed Gein with schizophrenia and ruled that he was not mentally competent to face trial for his crimes. So instead of facing a trial, Gein was sent to what was then known as Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. About 11 years after being admitted to the hospital, Gein's doctors testified that he was cognizant enough to participate in his defense, and a new trial began. But during this trial, his defense team requested that the trial be decided by a single judge alone without a jury present, which was the right of Gein to request. The presiding judge, named Judge Robert H. Golmar, found Gein guilty of the murder, but... During a second trial, which was held to determine Gein's mental state, Judge Golmar found Gein not guilty by reason of insanity, and for a second time, Ed Gein was committed to the Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. It was in that hospital where Ed Gein would live out the rest of his days. It was said that he enjoyed simple things like finger painting and reading the Bible. Now, remember when I said that Plainfield was a small town? Here's how small it actually was. On March 20th, 1958, just 10 days before an auction was supposed to happen at the property, a fire broke out at the farmhouse. The source of the fire remains a mystery. It could have been caused by a cleaning crew who was disposing of all of the junk that was found on the property, or more likely, It could have been arson. Whatever the initial cause was, there was very likely a delay in the firefighters responding to the scene. The fire chief at the time was the son of Ed Gein's final victim, Bernice Warden. In the fire, all of the structures on the property were lost. Most of the items had been recovered from the property by this point, and the auction went on. At this auction, any items that were deemed to have pretty much any value were auctioned off, and among them was a cast iron cauldron, almost like a cauldron you would see a classic witch like stirring a potion in. Over the years, the cauldron sat in a garage and exchanged hands several times, but today it's on display at Zach Baggins Haunted Museum in Las Vegas. Although the buildings were destroyed in the fire, the property was still sold as well and is now owned by an individual or individuals who want nothing to do with its infamous and sinister past. There is nothing left at the land to remember the lives that were stolen by Ed Gein or those whose bodies were not allowed to be laid to rest as they had wished. 
Although most of Ed Gein's victims were already dead, they deserved to rest in peace. And he not only violated that rest, but mutilated their bodies. The absolute devastation that must have been felt by their families is unimaginable. He took at least two lives, but his deranged and sick actions caused almost a dozen families irreparable harm and pain. I've covered more than a dozen locations for the Morbid Tourism podcast at this point, and this is the first time that I'm going to ask that morbid tourists do not visit the location that I'm covering. The location was the site of horrendous acts, but believe me when I say there is no healing to be found there. A sick man carried out unbelievable acts at the site, yes, but at this point, not even a memorial remains, and it's no longer a site that holds a connection to the past. If you truly wish to mourn the victims of Ed Gein, I suggest instead visiting the area cemeteries that he grave robbed from, including the Plainfield Cemetery. Ed Gein himself is buried there, although his grave no longer has a marker. He's buried right next to his best friend and only love, his mother, Augusta Gein. Ed Gein's horrendous acts have inspired many famous horror villains. His closeness to his mother and wanting to keep a connection to her even after her death inspired the character Norman Bates in Psycho. His creation of a skin suit inspired the character Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. His creation of masks made out of human faces inspired Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. And I could go on. There are literally dozens of movies and characters that were inspired by Gein. The horrendous acts that he committed continue to inspire macabre filmmakers to this day. Thank you for listening to this Morbid Tourism episode about Ed Gein's farmhouse. If you like learning about morbid locations, subscribe to Morbid Tourism on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please leave us a rating or review. Let us know what you think. New episodes will be released weekly. Between episodes, you can visit morbidtourism.com to learn about more morbid locations. Follow us on Instagram at morbidtourism. This podcast is researched, hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jules Kruger. Additional research by Amanda Poikert. Sources for this episode include Wikipedia, IMDb, Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum, and cultofweird.com. <laughs>